Let's, let's begin. Um, so turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 46 through 49. That's the last four verses of Luke. Yeah. Before we do that, um, we're going to pray. I, I've got a note. See, it's right here. If it was a snake, it would have bit me. Um, we're going to pray for uh, Danny Peterson, uh, David and Kirsten's uh, second oldest son. He's, is he about seven, six, got hit by a truck yesterday, had to get air flighted up to Tacoma. Um, thankfully, he is, seems like he's doing okay. He's got some broken bones and a lot of road rash. Um, but I th- there's a good chance he might be headed home today. Uh, so praise the Lord, but be praying for them because there's, there's still a, a road of recovery ahead. Um, and his dad texted me last night and said, we're just going to have to teach him the phrase, well, you should see the truck that hit me. <laughs> so let's pray, let's pray for them before we uh, continue. Lord Jesus, we do just lift them up to you. Um, lift up little Danny and, and, uh, and his parents, Lord, the, what they must have uh, felt yesterday, Lord, just the worry. Um, for their son. Just pray that you'd bring healing uh, to his body, that there'd be no complications, there'd be no uh, any brain injuries or anything like that that uh, might surface in the future. We just pray against all those things that he would just uh, be able to recover to full health uh, quickly, that you'd help him as he navigates the, uh, the pain um, and uh, healing up and, and that everything would just heal up well. Um, just sustain their family as they go through this time and help their trust and their confidence to be in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So since you've all found your places, uh, go ahead and stand um, and we'll read God's word. But uh, before we do that, I'm just gonna give a little preview because the study today is called Dig Deep Obedience. And Jesus is gonna give the illustration, right? This this story of two builders, of one who built their house on the rock with a good foundation, the other one who built on the sand with no foundation. And Jesus is going to exhort us today that the way to build a good foundation on the rock is through obeying his word when we hear it. So let's read the passage uh, starting in verse 46. Jesus says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me, and hears my sayings and does them. I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray. Well, Father, we love you, and we just pray that you would open your word to us this morning, and what we hear, we would obey. We would not just hear it and do nothing, Lord, but that you would stir our hearts with a conviction to take seriously every single one of your words. Lord, just uh, work it into our hearts this morning. I pray for your grace uh, to speak your words clearly, uh, that it would be uh, all of you and none of me. Um, and we just love you and we look forward to hearing from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So part one of the sermon is titled, And in Closing. 
This is a great first point of a sermon, but the reason that that's our first point is because this section is Jesus' last point in the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon that Jesus gave early on in his ministry. It's covered most extensively in Matthew chapters five through seven. Luke gives it the better half of a chapter. Matthew gives it three chapters. And Jesus has covered a lot in the sermon so far. Right? This is the last little chunk. He's taught about the Beatitudes, about how he came to fulfill the law. He taught about sin in the heart is the same as sin in the hand. Right? Going the second mile, loving your enemies, how to pray, how to fast, storing up treasure in heaven, how to judge without hypocrisy, praying persistently. Jesus has covered a lot of things. Each one of these bullet points could be a, a couple sermons or a whole series of sermons, and Jesus gave this in one sermon, one sermon. So he has given them a lot of instruction. And the last two things that he has said, combining both uh, Matthew and Luke's accounts, he, both the last things he says talk about having a sincerity in our faith, how true faith will produce works. He had, he had said, that a good tree is gonna bear good fruit and a bad tree is gonna bear bad fruit, not the other way around. And then he had just said that many will say to me, Lord, Lord, they will call him Lord. Like, have we not cast out demons? Have we not done wonderful works and, and prophesied, done all these things in your name? And he's gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Even though they called him Lord, they professed him as Lord, he said, depart from me because you're not doing what I say. So on the tail end of that, Jesus says this in our passage in Luke. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? You think of this multitude of people who had heard, who had heard Jesus' sermon, and many had, would, would have called him Lord or teacher, rabbi. They would give him that title, but were they obeying what he said? Were they going to live it out? Jesus was saying that he doesn't want just lip service, right? He didn't just want to gain a bunch of, of students who heard. He wanted those who would obey, who would do what he said. There has to be a consistency between our actions and our words, between our profession and our practice. In the epistle of James, James talks about this in a couple different spots where he expounds on the same point. James 1.22, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So we're called to not just hear, but to do. Because if we're in that camp of we hear God's word, but we fail to act on it, we do nothing. He says, you are deceiving yourself. Now, nobody else around you is gonna be fooled. You realize that. We fool ourselves trying to think, I'm good, I just gotta act the part. No, Jesus says, or James says, you're deceiving yourself. Later in chapter two, he says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. If works does not accompany the profession of faith, the faith is dead. Your faith is nothing. So he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Jesus presents this in a question form. And what our brains do when we hear a question is what? We want to answer the question. We can't help it. And we need to find this answer for ourselves. Every one of us needs to find the answer. Because I want to point out, who is Jesus talking to? 
He's not talking to a bunch of pagans who are sacrificing their children, not these hardened criminals or wildly immoral people who, are, who Jesus had gone into some other area. No, these were people who had come to him to hear his word. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? They had listened to his words. They had sat through this whole sermon hearing Jesus' words. That's why this scripture is very relevant for us today. We cannot say this was for them, for those, those silly people in the, in the you know, beginning of the New Testament who just weren't listening to Jesus. No, this is for us. We have to ask the same question to ourselves. If you call Jesus Lord today, do you do what he says? Don't, don't immediately answer this question without taking the time to really ask yourself, to really dig in and reflect on that. And I wanna encourage us that we are blessed to be in a church that values God's word, that preaches God's word. It's preached often and it's preached clearly and we are thankful for that. But do we obey what we hear? Or is this just our, our current favorite flavor of church where we go and we just, this is just what we like to hear and then we just go home and do what we want? It is good to believe the right things. Good doctrine is so important, but we have to obey that doctrine that we say we believe. Why? Because in this story, Jesus is going to warn us that the builder whose house ended in destruction was the man who came and heard Jesus, but instead of obeying, did nothing. That is sobering. We got to be careful that we do not fall into that same camp. So let's get into the illustration um, in the next few verses. So we have two builders. In each builder, we're going to see three phases in the story. We're going to see their response to Jesus. We're going to see how that correlates in the way they constructed their house. And then we're going to see when the storm hit them and the outcome of their house. Now, let's, let's look at it in spreadsheet form for the nerds. We have the response to Jesus, right? The wise man, he came and heard and obeyed. The lazy man, as we're calling him, he came and heard and did nothing. Now, it's mostly the same. The only difference there is that instead of doing, they did nothing, okay? And then in the construction, the wise man dug deep, he laid the foundation on the rock, and then he built the house. The lazy man had no digging, no foundation, but he still ended up with a house, a similar result. He had a house. And then they both faced the same storm. But the wise man, when the storm came, the stream beat vehemently, says it could not shake the house. For the lazy man, the storm came, the same stream beat vehemently. It's the same so far, but it says immediate and great was the destruction. So in the response, we might think, oh, doing something, doing nothing, not a massive difference if I hear God's word and obey it, or if I just don't, don't take heed to it, not that big of a deal, but the outcome could not be more different for the two, for the two builders. So let's look at the wise man first and his response to Jesus. So he says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. So what was the wise man's response to Jesus? He says he comes to Jesus. He was there listening to him. Uh, there at the Sermon on the Mount, he heard his words. They went into his head. They went into his ears. And upon hearing, he did it. He obeyed them. This might seem so simple, so obvious. Of course he would. Jesus says to do something, we obey it. 
But nothing could be more important. This simple act of doing, of obeying, changed the course of this man's future. Now, what was his construction like? Well, first it says he's like a man building a house. This picture of building a house is going to illustrate, it's going to bring to life the, this, the importance of obedience. So it says he's building a house, the lazy man's building a house. Those are the two categories we get to fall into. We are all building a house. Our actions, our choices are the way we choose to respond to God's word day in and day out, week in and week out, will shape your future, will shape your life. So it says he's building house, and what did he do? It says he dug deep. He dug deep. That was his first step. It, in the Greek, it literally is he digged and went deep. It's two, it's two words in, in the Greek. He went below the surface. That's the, the, the first thing I want to dig into, that he went below the surface. Because it's not our nature to, to, to go below the surface. We are much better at keeping it surface level, aren't we? keeping it shiny, keeping a good appearance. We know how to act at church, right? It's easy to be shallow. It's easy just to copy what other people are doing. You show up here at church, you're like, well, everyone seems to be happy and, and doing good and, and smiling, so that's how you act at church. So I'm gonna do that too. It's easy to do that. But the difference between acting Christian and true obedience it's the difference between Jesus' words being in our heads and Jesus' words being in our hearts. But just like a foundation has to be dug deep, the ground has to be removed, we have to go deep in order to be solid. Just like a foundation has to have that, God's word has to go down deep in our hearts and take root. You remember the parable of the sower where there's four different kinds of, of ground that the seed fell on. The only one that bore fruit was the one that was good ground, that had been dug into, that had been prepared, where the seed could go deep and the roots could go down. It built a good foundation. And that was the only one that bore fruit. There were other ones that sprang up quickly, but they also fell away quickly. So the wise man started by digging down deep. And then he laid the foundation on the rock. He dug through the sand and the dirt and he found the rock. And that is where he laid his foundation, not until he found the rock. And that's what any wise builder would do, right? Any, like, especially one who lives near a coastline or a place where storms are common and fierce. You've never seen a lighthouse in the sand. It's always on a rock. It's always on a massive slab of concrete. It's always high up on a cliff where there's, like this one in the picture is, there's just rock everywhere. That is where the foundation is solid. That's where lighthouses are built. And so the only way to build an unshakable life is by intentional, genuine obedience to God's word. We have to do the hard work of digging and into our hearts and allowing God's word to genuinely go in and produce obedience. Because obedience is gonna determine your outcome in the storms. So the storm and the outcome for the wise man First it says, and when the flood arose, notice it does not say if the flood arose. It does not give any idea that this is a surprise. Like, and then you wouldn't believe it. There was a, there was a flood. No, he said, when the flood arose, when it happened. The storm was not a surprise. Storms should not surprise us. We're gonna face storms. We all go through storms. 
Matthew, in Matthew 5, 45, Jesus says, it says he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We are all gonna go through storms because we live in a broken and fallen world and we're gonna experience brokenness. But I wanna remind us before we're like, why does there always have to be storms? Why does there always have to be floods? That just remember that the floods that test the structural integrity of our faith, they're preparing us for the testing by fire that we're gonna go through before the throne of God. So remember, it's like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter three, talking about how Jesus Christ is the only foundation that we can build upon. And we're all building upon it. And in the last day, all of our works are gonna be thrown into the fire. And the only things that are gonna remain is the gold and silver and precious jewels, all the wood, hay and stubble, all this stuff of ourself is gonna get burned up and washed away. So as we face storms, as we have these testings of our faith, when we are shaken like that, if our foundation is on the rock, that gives us confidence that we will stand in that day and we will have something come out of the fire. Because I don't want mine to be all wood, hay, and stubble. Do you? I want something that remains. So the floods today prepares for the fire tomorrow. So it says that the flood arose an abundance of water. In Matthew's account, he says, there was rain pouring down and wind all over the place. This new house is facing a serious storm. And it says this stream beat vehemently against that house. So this isn't just the ground got waterlogged and then pretty soon you had some water seeping into your basement. No, this was massive amount of water pulled up, formed a stream, aimed straight at the house. Stream came and it impacted the house. It says it beat vehemently against the house. I can't think of a better way to put that. It literally means to crash against, to burst against. That's what this stream did to the house. This was no small testing that the house experienced. You think of like this, like this image of a wave smashing into a lighthouse. How many of you guys have been knocked over by a wave? Just a, not one like this, just waves can be powerful. Water moving at a quick speed can be powerful. This was a huge test to the house, a huge test to the foundation, and what was the result? It says, and it could not shake it. It didn't say, and it didn't shake it, like it didn't happen to shake it this time. No, it could not shake it. Literally, the storm did not have enough strength to shake the house. And that should comfort us, that when we get hit by these storms, if we are built on the rock, we cannot be shaken because we are built on the rock. And that's what Jesus says, cannot shake us. Paul communicates a, a similar thing that they were experiencing doing ministry in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, 7 through 9. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We're down, but we are not out. Why? Because the power was in God. The strength was in God. Because Paul and his companions were founded on the rock. So no matter what they faced, whether it was persecution or situations that were incredibly difficult, and Paul went through a lot of them, he could say these things. That he was hard-pressed, but not crushed, but not crushed. And why was it not crushed? It says, for, because it was founded 
on the rock because the house was connected to the rock. It was connected to something solid because the house had a sure and steady anchor for, its, for our souls because the rock was strong and kept the house steady. Jesus doesn't say, man, it couldn't shake it because brand new house. It was designed really good. It was a great foundation. He laid it good. He poured the concrete and the rebar and all that stuff. And he, the builder did such a great job, it withstood the storm. No, he says it could not shake it because the rock held the house steady. It was founded on the rock. It is Christ and Christ alone who will hold you through the storm. It's not about holding on tight enough to Jesus. No, he's holding on to us. And I think now having a baby, this is my first sermon after having a baby, so this is the first of many illustrations. But I think of my almost six-month-old little boy, and he can hold my finger, my beard, with grip, with strength for a six-month-old. But if we're walking through a storm, yeah, he's going to be like, hold on to daddy. But it's not his strength that's keeping him in the storm, is it? It's me holding him. It's his father holding him. It's the same thing for for us. We would be foolish to consider ourselves as anything stronger than an infant compared to the Lord in the arms of the Lord. Remember, that is who we are. We hold tight, yes, but he is holding tight to us. Lay your foundation unwaveringly on Jesus. Don't, don't shake where, whose finger you're holding on to, but trust the rock to keep you steady in the storm. Trust him. But what about the lazy man's house? So the lazy man, his response to Jesus. So it's implied that he came. He was there as well, just like the first man. He heard just like the first man. But Jesus says, and he did nothing. That is the difference. Now notice that the reason for this builder's destruction, again, was not some crazy immorality, pagan worship, or devout atheism that caused him to be destroyed. No, it was something more subtle, something much more welcome in our hearts. It was laziness. It was apathy. It was religious pride that says, well, this passage applies to you and you and you, but I'm good. Every single one of us is capable of that kind of pride. And if you're right now thinking everybody else except me, there's your, there's your red flag. But it was that attitude that led to this man's destruction. I don't need to do that. I'm fine how I am. Right? This man, he came to Jesus. He heard Jesus. The lazy man, he built the house just like the first man. His house probably looked good on the outside. It was a new house. Probably looked good on the surface. But when he was at the step of needing to dig deep, of making that attachment permanent, of getting to the point of actually obeying. He just said, nah, he did nothing. He just ignored it. And that led to his destruction. And I want to point out that the man who thinks he's built on the rock is in much greater danger than the person who knows he's built on the sand. Because if you think you're built on the rock, you get comfortable, you relax, you go to bed in your comfy bed, in your new house on the sand, and you sleep good. And then the wave comes and you're destroyed. But if you're in the waves, if you're in the sand, you can brace for the wave. We've all been knocked down by waves, but we've also probably all stood in waves and you jump through it or you lean into it and you're okay. You're bracing for it. Which one actually gets destroyed by the wave? It's the person who thinks they're okay. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, 
Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We need to take heed to our own hearts. When you hear God's word, don't immediately conclude, I'm good, I don't need that, that doesn't apply to me. When you hear God's word, examine your heart and see if you're actually building on the rock, if you're actually walking in obedience to that. So what was his construction like? It says, he heard and did nothing. He's like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation. Matthew calls it sand, which I think for our minds presents a, a, a more clear picture. He built the house on sand. It's like building a sandcastle. Now you have these two structures and it doesn't take a degree to know the outcome of these when they hit a wave. Every six-year-old in here or younger can tell us what's gonna happen to that house, what's gonna happen to that sandcastle when just a pitiful little wave hits it. We've all built it. We've all been crushed because our awesome sandcastle is wiped away. But how many of us have been to old lighthouses on the coast that have weathered thousands of storms, have been hit by hundreds of thousands of waves, constantly hit by waves, and they're still standing? You don't ever see a lighthouse built on the sand unless it's on its side and in destruction. It's always built on the rock. The structures that survive, that stand, and that can withstand the waves and the storms are the ones that are built on the rock. So what about the storm? It says, against which the stream beat vehemently. Notice, same words as the first house. The same storm hit this house. It faced the same attack, the same wind, the same waves, the same water, the same impact. What was the outcome? It says, and immediately it fell. It didn't say like, and after a few hours of beating and being torn away, then it eventually kind of started to crumble. No, immediately it fell. And it says the ruin of that house was great. The destruction was immediate and the destruction was massive. This is the outcome of a house not built on the rock. The outcome of a life that hears and does nothing. Now I want to point out, because we all want to build a strong foundation, but the only way to have a strong foundation when the storm hits is to build a strong foundation when the weather is nice. Because we all face storms, we all go through things, but we also have times when life is good. We're not standing in front of a fire hydrant just getting doused. We're not standing in the waves getting hit thing after thing after thing. But how many of us, myself included, do we see a storm coming or the rain starts to come down and then we grab our Bibles and then we get to church and then we start praying and we're like, man, I've not cracked my Bible open since, well, the last time everything fell apart. Yes, when a storm comes, do those things. Let the storm drive you to the Lord and run to the Lord. But you're not gonna face a storm the same if your foundation is not already built. You think of Noah, right? He, he spent all that time building the ark. What, 100 something years building the ark. Talk about a, a project that's never finished. And when the rain came, he was ready. But everybody else who'd been laughing at Noah for 100 years, the rain started and they're like, wait, so where'd you get those plans for the boat? That's not the time to start building a boat. That's when the rain starts, when the wind starts blowing, that's not the time to build a strong foundation. It's not the people who start praying in the storm who have a good prayer life. It's the people who are diligent and devoted to spend time in prayer, to spend time with the Lord, to be opening the word, to be taking it in and obeying it day in and day out without the pressure of I've got everything happening. 
those are the people whose life is already has a good foundation because it's being built every single day. In other words, the testing of our faith is not a test you can cram for. It's only done, that foundation is only built by slow, diligent, consistent, intentional obedience to God's word day by day, week by week. As you open up God's word daily, as you let it flow into you, maybe it's not speaking exactly to what you're in right now. It doesn't matter. Read it, ingest it, seek to obey it. Grab your shovel, start digging, do the work of getting it into your heart so it can bear fruit. As you come to church every week and you hear the word taught, don't just say amen, that was a great sermon, and then go home. That is dangerous. Pick up the shovel, dig deep, let God's word stir you to obedience. Allow yourself to be convicted. We have to beware of our tendency to overlook our own sin. We're real good at seeing everybody else's, but we're real good at being real comfortable with our own sin, aren't we? And saying, ah, I know I should change, but maybe next week. Maybe if he preaches on it again next week. It's really easy to be comfortable. Don't get comfortable. When the Lord highlights something in your heart, when he allow him to convict you, grab your shovel and don't stop digging until you get those poisonous weeds out. We have to come to God's word with the heart of David in Psalm 139, where he says, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my anxieties, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask the Lord to examine your heart through his word and be willing to admit that there might be some wickedness in you that the Lord wants to purge out. But we like our sin sometimes, don't we? We're comfortable with it. It might be a nasty roommate, but we're used to him. Don't be used to him. Gotta get that, gotta get that sin out. And I just wanna encourage each one of us, if the Lord has surfaced something in your heart, if he has brought something to your mind this morning where he says, hey, this is, this is that, stinky roommate that you have. This is that poisonous thing that's in your heart that maybe nobody knows about, that maybe you don't want to talk about, that you'd be embarrassed, whatever. Get it out. Today is the day. Confess it. First John says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk after the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. There's grace and there's forgiveness for all who will come and repent. Church, we gotta take this seriously. We have to take sin seriously. Don't get comfortable with it. If you're here this morning and you don't know God, you're, maybe you're searching, maybe you don't know, there is one point of obedience that you must start with before anything else, and that's obedience to God's command to repent. It says in Acts 17.30, but now God commands all men everywhere to repent. This is the call. It's often shared as an invitation, like, hey, we could go on a cruise if you'd like. I've got tickets. No, we are enemies of God. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by habit. We do it and it's in us and our sin has separated us from God. And if we die in this state, it is permanent, separated from God. But God sent his son Jesus to this earth. He took on flesh. He lived here as a man, as a servant. He lived a sinless life. He came with the righteousness of God. But he went to the cross, guiltless, innocent, 
dying as a criminal, beaten beyond measure, beyond recognition in our place. And it was not just the physical things that he faced. The physical things were not even the worst of what he faced. The worst thing that Jesus faced was the wrath of God that should be on me, that should be on you, placed on Jesus. And Jesus took it. And the whole thing was poured out like a cup of wrath turned upside down and emptied out. And Jesus absorbed it. And he cried out, it is finished. That wrath is absorbed. The sin is paid for. And he spent three days in the grave, but he didn't stay there. He rose again. He's alive, victorious over the grave. He has conquered the power of sin and of death and of hell. He holds the keys to those things. And in him, we can receive forgiveness of sin. Our punishment was paid because Jesus stepped in and he paid our fine. Like Pastor Greg talked about last week, if you weren't here, go back and listen to it. Because he talked about how the righteousness of Christ was placed on us and all of our sin was placed on Jesus. Jesus, God saw Jesus with all of our sin and God poured out his wrath on it. But when we repent and put our faith in Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus in God's sight is placed on you and I. That is totally undeserved. That is a crazy, 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 lavish gift, the righteousness of Christ. But that is what he offers us. Forgiveness, new life, that life that if we are with him, when we die, we will still be with him. That does not change. That's offered to anyone who will obey his command here to repent. And he will give us a life that cannot be shaken, a life that is able to be built on the rock, a life that is able to weather the storms. Because without Christ, we don't have access to the rock. But in Christ, we can be built on the rock. And when the floods rise and the stream beats on the house, we will not, we cannot be shaken because our house is built on the rock. If you need to obey this command to repent, do it today. Do it today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, just pray that you would work obedience into our hearts, Lord. Give us the grace to walk away from here and not leave your word here. Lord, convict us, Lord. Stir us up, search us, try us, know us, see if there's any wicked way in us, Lord. Because we wanna go in the way everlasting. So we pray that you would give us the grace to repent. You would give us the strength to confess our sin, to receive your forgiveness and your washing and your cleansing. Just pray that, we could take your word, take it seriously, and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen.